Our scripture for today comes from John chapter 15. Uh, and today we're going to uh, zero in for just a few moments on verses 12 through 13 uh, from the English Standard Version. Uh, and beginning at verse 12, Jesus says these words. He says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. This morning for a couple of minutes, want to talk about a command to love greatly. A command to love greatly. I, I'm not one that believes in coincidences, and so I don't find it happenstance that the month that we have designated to celebrate love is also the month that is designated to celebrate the history and the legacy of black people in America. The reason that I say that is because when we look at the legacy of black people in America, it is the story of hate consistently being overcome by love. We are where we are today and who we are today because of a special capacity through that has been developed through the struggle that enables us to look past the faults and the limitations of others and love them in spite of themselves. Love in the sense that we would seek better for them. Not that we would necessarily affirm or comfort them in their brokenness, but black people have consistently been present in our society to challenge our society, to be better than what it is and better than what it has been because we have a unique perspective to be able to see the potential of what our nation can be if we would come together and love one another. Even though it would be easy in our position and with our history to develop a position of hatred and anger and seek revenge and retribution, God has given us a special measure of grace to be able to find ways to love in situations where other people find it so easy to hate. This is um, a um, blessing for our nation in ways that our nation still doesn't comprehend or appreciate. But what I am grateful for is that through the perseverance of our people, through the continued um, advancement and passion and drive that has motivated progress in this nation through the years, not only are people able to experience progress, but Jesus is continually lifted up as the source of the love that is necessary to overcome the great hate that exists in our world. It is a special position to be a believer and be black in America. Uh, we have a unique position and calling to not only be ones who pursue justice, but who do so through the lens of true justice, which is only found in the kingdom of God. 
And what is so powerful about that is that the justice that comes from the transformative work of the kingdom of God in the hearts of men and women is the only justice that will last and remain in our nation. And so we have the special responsibility as we navigate the difficulties and the challenges that are before us, those that we have been able to overcome behind us, but the ones that we're facing right now and the ones that are over the horizon that we don't yet see, we have the special unique calling and responsibility to continue to love greatly as Jesus commanded us in John 15. The, the, the picture, the image that you see on our graphic today is a photo from Bloody Sunday. And Bloody Sunday is uh, the day where 600 peaceful demonstrators marched in support of voting rights from Selma to Montgomery, Alabama. And on their way out of Selma, as they crossed over the Alabama River on the Edmund Pettus Bridge, they were attacked and brutalized by sheriff's deputies, state troopers, and deputized posse men on the authority of the governor of Alabama, George Wallace, who told them that they were to do whatever it took to stop the march from happening. The nation watched in horror as these demonstrators were tear gassed, run down on horseback, whipped and beaten on national television. And at the forefront of the march and in the forefront of this particular image was a 25-year-old activist by the name of John Lewis. Lewis was the chairman of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, often referred to as SNCC. And it was not the first time, nor would it be the last time, that Lewis would be beat down in pursuit of equal rights. John had a legacy from early on in his life of being an advocate for others. Even while growing up, he had the passion and the desire to be a preacher of the gospel. But he struggled at times with being able to communicate eloquently uh, and having had the opportunity to be a student in college when Rosa Parks sat on the bus, as Quentin talked about last week, and as Martin Luther King began to lead the, uh, the, the, these peaceful protests all across the nation, John found the motivation and the connection of the movement to his own individual purpose, and he began to excel and rise on the national scene as a leader uh, for the nonviolent movement. As John continued to do work all over the nation, being arrested over and over and over again, uh, protesting peacefully at lunch counters, uh, participating in the continuation of the Freedom Rides after the, the initial bus was bombed, John would experience not only the verbal abuses of people that hated him just because of what he looked like, but he would experience the physical abuses of consistently being beaten over and over and over again. And it makes you wonder, what is it that motivates someone to put their lives on the line, to put their body in harm's way? What is the motivation and the driving factor that would lead someone to leave the comfort of their home, to leave the comfort of their family, to leave the comfort of what's familiar, to go to unfamiliar places in dangerous situations and circumstances when they know that it is likely that they are going to experience pain, hurt and abuse? And it is nothing but love that motivates 
us to do what is unconventional but necessary. The legacy of John Lewis is one that is motivated by his love and his passion to see all people experience freedom and equal rights and opportunities in our nation that he believed was possible, believed so deeply that he would be willing to put himself in harm's way regularly for the benefit of others. Lewis would go on to say, uh, as he talked about this bloody Sunday crossing the Edmunds Pettus Bridge, as he reflected on it, he would say that you are a light. You are the light. Never let anyone, any person or any force dampen, dim or diminish your light. Release the need to hate, to harbor division and the enticement of revenge. Release all bitterness. Hold only love, only peace in your heart, knowing that the battle of good to overcome evil is already won. And that's the thing that we have to remember as we are called to be agents of change in our community, that even though the battle is uncomfortable, even though it hurts at times, even though it is frustrating, even though sometimes it seems to be unbearably slow, we have to remember that we fight from a place not of defeat, but we fight from a place of victory. And so everything that we do, everything that we give is helping to get us one step closer to the victory that God has already assured because we are guaranteed in his word that good will overcome evil, that love will drive out darkness, that we will experience an existence where these things are no longer hindrances to our daily lives. And so when we look at the legacy of those that have come before us, those of John Lewis and uh, and Martin Luther King and Ralph Abernathy and Rosa Parks and uh, uh, and so many others. When we look at their legacy and we look at the effectiveness and the impact of what it was that they did and how they were able to sacrifice and work together in order to get us to where we are today. The one word that sums up why it worked is the word love. It's love. And the greater that we learn how to love God and to love one another's, the greater transformation we can see not only in our own lives, but also in our communities. As Jesus sits with his disciples in his farewell discourse, knowing that his time is near and knowing that it is time for him to do what he has come to do, which is to die on the cross, taking the penalty of our sins upon him so that he can be then resurrected from the grave and continue with the work that the father established. Knowing that his time is near, Jesus sits and he begins to share intently with his disciples in the end of John chapter 13, going through John chapter 16, before we arrive at his high priestly prayer in John 17. And as Jesus sits in this final discourse, he goes deep into what the disciples can expect to come. And he clarifies his expectations for how they would move forward, knowing that he is his time with them is limited. He wants to make sure they understand what his expectations are for how they continue to move forward and continue the work that he started. And so in. Verse chapter verse 12 of chapter 15. Jesus takes the opportunity. And first of all, he highlights the model for love. He highlights the model for love. 
He says again in verse 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Jesus commands them and us to love one another. Now, he is authorized to issue that command to us because, first of all, we have chosen to follow him, to submit to his teaching, and we have committed to replicating his life in our own lives. That's what it means to be a disciple. As a student of Jesus, we are not just learning the information that Jesus offers, but we are actively engaged in seeking to replicate the example of Jesus in our lives. And so Jesus is authorized to give us this command because we have made the choice, the selection to follow him and to seek to replicate his example. And so he has this authority to issue this command to us because he has already modeled this standard of love for us. He doesn't lift up some lofty expectation that wasn't even attainable for him, calling on us to do something that he wasn't willing to do, calling on us to do something that he's not trying to do, calling on us to do something that he knows that we don't have the capacity to do. No, his words are specifically to love one another as I have loved you. If you try to love each other the way that Jonathan loves, then you will fail to meet God's expectations because like you, I'm trying to learn how to love the way that Jesus loved. And if you try to love the way that I love, then your love will be imperfect and incomplete and not fully pleasing to God. That's why Jesus comes and doesn't only tell us to love, but he says that we ought to love the way that he loved, that we ought to look at, embrace, and learn from his example, and then replicate that in our lives, to look at the way that Jesus was intentional with his disciples, to look at the way that he called them out of the grind and into greatness to look at the way that he sat down with them and took time with them and taught them, explaining the same concepts over and over and over again, to look at the way that he challenged them when they didn't get it right, to look at the way that he provided for them in practical and miraculous ways, to look at the way that he encouraged them and affirmed their God-giving calling in their lives even when they couldn't see it to look at the way that he rebuked them when they got off mission, to look at the way that he was patient with them when they just couldn't seem to get it together, to look at the way that he forgave them when they turned their backs on him in his darkest moment. Jesus didn't return to them what they deserved, but his priority was always on giving them what they needed. That example of love is what made the difference in both the abolitionist movement and the civil rights movements in black American history. It was the ability to not give back to people truthfully what they deserve to receive based on what they had given. 
And it was the ability to give to them what they had not earned, which was grace for their imperfections, which was mercy for their faults and their failures, and which was love because we know that in God's eyes, we are all we all have sinned and fallen short of his glory. And it is this love that allowed people who had been beaten and abused to still make room in their lives and in their hearts for those that were the abusers. To understand that God wanted to redeem them the same way that he wanted to redeem everybody else. And that hate returned for hate would only produce a cycle of hate. King would say that the only way to drive out hate is with love, that you can't drive out hate with hate. And so it is this mysterious thing called love that enables us to do what we naturally don't want to do, but what spiritually needs to be done. And there were so many times that Jesus could have taken his position and used his authority to either uh, cast others out or beat others down or use his position and his power and influence and authority to uh, to lower others while he elevated himself. But because he was driven by love, because he is love, he consistently did what people needed him to do. Even in the Garden of Gethsemane where he, uh, he anticipates the agony and the pain that he's preparing to go through to the point where he asks the Father if there is another way that he can accomplish his task, accomplish his mission without having to endure such pain, then please make it known. But it is his love for us that causes him to say, yet not my will, but your will be done. It is the greatness of his love. That Jesus establishes as an example. A great example of action that is grounded in the gospel. As John Lewis embraces the message of Martin Luther King that hate could not drive out hate, that only love could do that. And he commits himself to following the model, even to the point of putting his life on the line. He believed so deeply that love had the power to transform the hearts of the hateful people that were calling him names and abusing his brothers and sisters, firebombing churches, lynching people all across the nation, killing people, murdering people. He believed so deeply that the power of love had the ability to transform hearts that he was willing to put his life on the line, which is reflective of the example of Jesus who also believed that love had the transformative power to change lives and to change hearts, so much so that he was willing to put his life on the line. So Jesus talks about the model of love in verse 12 in that we ought to love one another the way that he has loved us. And then in verse 13, he goes on to talk about the magnitude of that love. In verse 13, he says, greater love has no one than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. Loving greatly could cost you everything. But in the kingdom of God, 
when we lose, we actually win. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 25, Jesus says, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The greatness of the love that Jesus talks about is a love that is so great that it realizes that when it operates in obedience to the expectations of our king, that if we are stewards of everything that we have, including our own lives, and that what we have actually all belongs to God, that if God calls upon us to give up what we have been given in service, in dedication, in sacrifice on behalf of another, that the one who has given it to us in the first place and then ask for it back would be willing to give us back everything that we need. Jesus says you can take what you have been given by the father and you can try to hold on to it and you can try to save it when he asks you to give it up. But if you try to hold on to it and save it, you'll actually end up losing it because it only works for you when you work it for him. But the one who is willing to take what they have been given and for his sake, being willing to give that back up then you will actually find everything that you've longed for and everything that you've wanted and everything that you've needed because our father is a good father that knows what we need in our hearts. And so when we look at the magnitude of Jesus's sacrifice, it ought to challenge us to be willing to give up what he is calling on us to give, not to say that every single one of us is going to have to be crucified on a cross, but the expectation is that as disciples of Jesus Christ, that every day that we wake up and we put our feet on the floor, that we would crucify ourselves, that we would crucify our flesh, that we would die to ourselves, that we would pick up our cross, pick up our purpose, pick up our calling, pick up the expectations and the standards that God has for us, and that we would follow him daily. That is the expectation that we have. And we ought to have a love growing in us and maturing in us that calls on us to love God enough to be obedient to him and that loves our brothers and sisters enough to be willing to do what is uncomfortable and inconvenient so that they can experience the love of God and be transformed. Part of the reason why we don't see the love of God running rampant in our communities is because it always has to compete with our comfort. And the difficulty of love promulgating throughout the American society is that our society is a selfish society that is focused on our own comfort and convenience. We have forsaken the right of life, the pursuit of life, liberty, and we have focused all of our attentions and efforts on the pursuit of happiness. Happiness being a state of emotional being, contingent and dependent on the agreement of our life circumstances. 
We experience happiness as an emotion when life cooperates with our own selfish agenda. When life doesn't do what we want life to do, then we, we, we move out of the emotional state of happiness into unhappiness. And that's why in the kingdom, Jesus isn't focused on making us happy, but his priority for us is the joy that comes from knowing that there is a God that created us, that loves us, that sustains us, that gives us purpose and is willing to do what is necessary to see us through whatever it is that's in front of us. That's why even though we love Jesus and have been called according to his purpose, every day for a believer might not be happy, but every day can be with joy because we know that even in the middle of inconvenient and uncomfortable circumstances that God still loves us that God still sits on the throne that God is still in control and that God is still working on our behalf that's why those that came before us that were willing to make the sacrifice could still find hope in the difficulty they could still find peace in the struggle. They could get beat in the head on Tuesday and wake up in the hospital on Wednesday and be right back on the front lines advocating for their brothers and sisters on Thursday because they weren't focused on their own happiness, but they were pursuing the joy of the Lord for everybody. The opportunity to know that we are all loved and all valued and all meaningful in our community, that each of us is significant, that all of our lives have meaning and value to God and should have meaning and value to one another. It is the magnitude of Jesus's love that is greater than any obstacles that would come our way. In spite of having never done anything wrong. In spite of living in total and complete obedience to the Father. In spite of being able to stand before the Father completely innocent. Jesus' love was great enough that while we were yet sinners, Christ would die for the ungodly. That while we were still walking in our imperfections and our brokenness and our sin, that Jesus would be willing to step in our place, to take the punishment that we deserved so that we could have an opportunity to be able to learn how to love and to be loved. And the question that we have to ask ourselves as it relates to who God is calling us to be in Omaha, Nebraska, is how many people that we interact with get introduced to the magnitude of God's love for them through the way that we are willing to sacrifice and be uncomfortable for them. Jesus says there is no greater reflection, representation, or demonstration of love beyond someone who is willing to lay down their life for their friend. And it doesn't always mean dying on a cross. But it does mean oftentimes taking what we want and taking what is 
comfortable and convenient for us and being willing to put that to the side to do what is in the best interest of somebody else. Every parent in the room understands what that means. Sacrifice for your child because you want them to have the opportunity to be the best that they can be and to experience the fullness of life. We were challenged on Friday as husbands and wives to be more intentional in how we love one another. In what we give up for one another. And as husbands being reminded that the love that we have for our wives is supposed to be a reflection of the love that Jesus has for his church. In so much that he was willing to die for it. How many of us can genuinely say that we are loving our brothers and sisters with the same kind of love that Jesus loves us with? How patient are we with one another? How kind are we to one another? How much are we willing to serve one another? How intentional are we about observing the struggle and the weight of our brothers and sisters and being willing to jump in and assist with bearing the weight? Tuesday is Valentine's Day. And there's a whole lot of people talking about love. It's going to be a whole lot of commercials and a whole lot of promotions about love. Jesus says you can take your candies and you can take your flowers and you can take your fancy dinners and your jewelry and all the other gifts. But there is no greater love, no greater demonstration of love than our willingness to step back so that others can step forward. To step down so others can step up. sacrifice so that others can live and it's not about just knowing it but how is it really manifesting in our lives how far are we really willing to go to love one another We have so many amazing examples in America of people who were willing to love greatly by putting their lives on the lines for others. And in a lot of cases, we're not asked to do what John Lewis was expected to do. Quentin's point last week, sometimes the Lord's just asking us to come up off the $2 in our pocket that we don't have no plans for anyway.
we have an amazing opportunity if we will embrace the challenge to demonstrate to the world what real love is. And I hope that we will take time to engage in self-reflection about how our attempts and our motive motivations to love align with and match up against the example that Jesus sets for us. Because we are clearly challenged to love one another the way that he was he has loved us in light of the magnitude of his love that called on him to lay down his life for his friends. It's not an invitation to love greatly. But if we are disciples of Jesus Christ and citizens in the kingdom of God, it is a command to love greatly. So if you're waiting on the funny feelings that are going to make it easy for you to do what you need to do, that's not how this works. If you're waiting on somebody else to demonstrate it first so that you can reciprocate it to them, that's not how this works. As disciples who are supposed to be replicating the life of Jesus in our own lives, we are called and we are commanded to love greatly. And that is irrespective of what anybody else does, whether they return the love to us or not, whether they're willing to sacrifice for us or not, whether they say thank you or not. Because although we do it to one another, we do it for him. We do it in obedience to what he has called us to do because we are recipients of his amazing love. And I don't know about you, but every now and then, the Lord reminds me of just how unlovable I am. of how imperfect I am, of how broken and flawed I am, of how undeserving I am of what Jesus did for me, of how many times I have disqualified myself from being worthy of Jesus's love. But then he reminds me that that ain't have nothing to do with what Jesus did. Jesus didn't do what he did because I deserved him to do what he did. He did what he did because his love was so great for me that he wanted to at least give me a chance to be able to experience that real love. And if we are recipients of the love of God, then let us embrace the command to love greatly. Let's not get caught up in what the world's standards and expectations of love are Let's live it the kingdom way. And let's let the testimony of the love that we have for one another be the declaration to the world that we are his disciples. Because Jesus says, 
that they will know that we are his disciples by our love for one another. Father, thank you for the opportunity to reflect and focus in on love during this month of February. And thank you, God, for the alignment with intentional reflection on our history as black people in America. We thank you, God, that when we look back at the legacy of black people in America, that it is saturated with your love, uncommon love, unjustified love, love that has motivated our ancestors to do what seemed crazy in the moment, but was necessary for the work that you were doing. We thank you, God, for their example and for the, the clarity of uh, progress because they were obedient to you when it would have been convenient to seek the judgment of their enemies. And we pray, God, that you would help us to continue the narrative by learning to love greatly as you have commanded us to. That regardless of what it would look like to the world, that we would embrace the challenge and the charge to love Jesus the way that you love us. That it would not just be a saying or a slogan or a T-shirt, but that it would be integrated in our DNA. That everything that we do would be saturated with love. And that, Lord, as we learn to love one another better, that you would help us to understand just how much you love us. That as we, in the coming weeks and months, make our way to Good Friday and Easter, that we would consider and contemplate all that you gave up for us just because you loved us, not because we deserved it. And as we reflect on that, Lord, help us to not slide into condemnation, but help us to jump into celebration at the fact that we are loved so greatly. And as we reflect on how greatly we are loved, give us the burden, Lord, to share that love with others that they might come to know. The assurance of such a great love. Our world is thirsty for genuine love. And there are so many fake and phony versions of it all throughout our world and society. The only true and genuine love comes from you, God. And we pray that you would help us to be conduits of that love to those who need to know you. Thank you, God, for loving us. And thank you for the opportunity to love others by laying down our lives for them. So in the moments, Lord, where it is we are presented with the choice to love or to choose our own comfort, help us to always choose love. To be willing to do what is uncomfortable because you often are working in our lives in the uncomfortable. Thank you, Lord, for the example of Jesus and for the charge to love greater. 
we know that you would never expect anything of us that you didn't know we had the capacity to do. And so if you command us to love greater, it's because you know that we can. And as your children, as your disciples today, we commit to doing what you'd called us to do. We thank you, Lord, for our time of sharing. We pray that you continue to be with us and bless us. It's our prayer in Jesus' name.